Well, as we continue our worship in the word, can we take a few moments to bow in prayer? Uh, Lord, just pray right now you'd prepare our hearts, uh, focus our minds on you, focus our minds on your word. Uh, get us out of the way, Lord. We have a tendency to get in the way, remove distractions on our mind. Uh, allow your word to be like a seed that's uh, planted and takes root and bears fruit unto righteousness. And so, Father, what we know not this morning, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a few years back, uh, prior to our time here at Twin Rivers, uh, we had met a couple who was attending our church services regularly. Uh, uh, and as we got to chat with this woman, we got to know her story. She shared that while she had accepted Christ as her Savior and Lord, her husband wasn't a believer. And she asked us if we could pray for her. We could pray for her husband and his salvation, and we could pray for her marriage. And so in the weeks ahead, she continued to attend our church faithfully, and, and we continued to pray for her, and weeks ended up turning into months. Months ended up turning into years, and about three or four years down the line, she was continuing to come faithfully to our church, and we were continuing to pray for her, her marriage, her husband, and his salvation. And one day, three or four years down the line, her husband walked into church alongside of her. Not only did he come in that Sunday, he continued to come in the following weeks, and we knew something was up when she had to go on a trip, and he still came that Sunday. I still remember nudging my wife, saying, the Lord is up to something. <laughs> sure enough, he was, and a few weeks later, this gentleman accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and as his Lord. A few weeks after that, I had the privilege and opportunity to baptize him in the waters of baptism as he joined his new church family. You know, whenever I reflect on that story, as I get to do this morning with you, I'm always reminded of this principle, to never, never underestimate the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband. Never underestimate the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband. This morning, I want to invite you to the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first six verses, and our focus this morning is going to be on the marks of a godly wife. The marks of a godly wife, the kind of wife who can make a difference in the life of her husband, even an unbelieving one. You know, as you make your way there in your Bibles, we're reminded that a text like this is needed now more than ever. Uh, to focus on God's design for marriage and God's design for the roles and responsibilities in marriages in, among husbands and among wives. The next time we're together, we'll focus on what godly husbands look like. This morning, our focus is on godly wives. But the reason we need to be reminded of God's design is because there are so many marriages that find themselves struggling even among believers in the church. There are other marriages who find themselves on the verge of divorce and the unfortunate thing is, when you take a look at the statistics, in regards to the church inside, in regards to culture outside, the divorce rates are pretty similar. And the time when we need to be reminded of God's design for marriage between one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship and God's design for husbands and wives in those relationships, the time is needed now more than ever. And you know, while our focus this morning is on the marks of a godly wife, I want to tell you this morning, this message is relevant for all of us. It's relevant for the young ladies in the room who uh, have a desire to be married someday to consider the kind of Christian mate that God desires of us or the kind of Christian mate you should be looking for. But it's also relevant to every believer here this morning because in Hebrews chapter 13, it says marriage should be honored by all. In other words, it should be treated as precious and it should be treated as valuable. And as the church, we need to know how we can pray biblically for the marriages that make up our church. How to pray for our own marriages, but also how to give sound biblical advice when we have the opportunity to do so. That the advice that we give would not be grounded in the authority of our experience, not grounded in the authority of pop culture, 
not be grounded in the authority of a good quote off of social media, but would be grounded in the authority of the word of God. So what are the marks of a godly wife, the kind of wife who, who can make a difference and, and God is designed to make a difference in the life of her husband, even an unbelieving one? Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word? We're in 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and following. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, then even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the, be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a, a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former, former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror." The word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, I want to take some time to talk about the marks of a godly wife, a kind of wife who God designed to make a difference in the life of her husband, even an unbelieving one. As we walk through our text together and we talk about the marks of a godly wife, I want to talk about her lifestyle. I want to take some time to talk about her beauty and also take some time to talk about her role models. But the beginning as we take a look at the first couple verses is we're going to take a look at her lifestyle. What is the mark of a, of a godly woman's lifestyle? And what we see here in verses 1 to 2 is it's marked by submission. Submission. The text reads this way. It says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. We're reminded in the first word there, uh, the recipients of the command. We're talking to wives here directly. Now, in the context, we know that these wives are Christian wives. These are wives who have trusted in Christ as their Savior and their Lord. They are believers. But we're also going to see that the wives that are addressed here, some have believing husbands who have also trusted in Christ. Others have unbelieving husbands. But regardless of whether their husbands are believing or unbelieving, the command is the same. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. So the recipients of the command is quite straightforward. We're talking about believing wives, believers uh, who are wives and are Christians. Secondly, you see the context of the command. It says, wives, likewise. That word likewise reminds us of the context that has already pointed us back to the previous chapter that began in verses 11 to 12 of chapter 2. If you recall, Peter was giving instructions, not just to Christian wives, but all believers, and he reminded them in chapter 2 of verse 11 that they are sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, Christian wives, along with all believers, are those who are temporary residents in this world. You see, they're just passing through. They're in the world, but they are not of the world. And they have a heavenly citizenship, but they also have earthly responsibilities. And those earthly responsibilities, according to chapter 2, verse 12, is that they would be a good witness to the lost world around them. And then in verse 13 of chapter 2 and following, the text told us how to be a good witness to the lost. It's by means of adopting an attitude of submission. Uh, we are instructed in chapter 2 that a life of submission is about submitting to Christ in all things. We sing the song, I surrender all. What an odd thing to say, Christ, I surrender some. No, I surrender all means all. And as we surrender to Christ in all things, we're also reminded that we are called not just to submit to Christ in all things, we're to submit to the authorities that he has appointed in chapter 2, verse 13 and following, we learn that we're to submit to the authorities in government the authorities in the workplace, and likewise, as we continue in our text this morning, we are also called to submit to authorities in the home, to submit to God's design within the home, the relationship between husbands and their wives and wives and their husbands. And so we see the context of the command, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Thirdly, let's unpack the 
content of the command. It says, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, when we're talking about the command, we're not talking about women submitting to all men, but wives submitting specifically to their own husbands. Now, we've been talking about submission as we've been walking through our text in chapter 2 into chapter 3, and it's the same term that's used here. It's the Greek term hypotasso, and every time we've talked about submission, we've talked about three things. It's about order, it's about honor, and it's about obedience. But before I unpack those three elements and what that looks like within the home and the relationship between husbands and wives and wives and husbands, I want you to know that the word submission is not a surprise to you, is not a popular term in our culture. But while it may not be a popular term in our culture because at times it's misunderstood, other times it's just not wanted, it is a very biblical term. All throughout scripture we see it read, Ephesians 5, to 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus chapter 2, verse 5 says that they, speaking of older women, admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so submission is a very biblical term, uh, but I don't want you to misunderstand it this morning. I want to take some time to unpack what that means as we talk about submission. We're talking about order. We're talking about honor. We're talking about obedience. First, we're talking about order. When we consider order, we're talking about God's design for marriage. God designed marriage, and he designed the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives within marriage. When we honor God's design for marriage, where there is divine design, there is also divine blessing. The word hypotasso, as we have talked about in previous weeks, is a military term. It speaks to place yourself under the rank of another. In marriage, it's the voluntary will to place yourself under the authority and the leadership of your husband. When we're talking about submission here, we're not talking about forced submission. We're not talking about a domineering husband. And so this message is not necessarily specific to husbands in the room to write the notes down and then hand them to your wife later. No, this is very specific to wives. Wives, likewise, be submissive. That's the order that God has set for the marriage relationship. Now, when we're talking about order, we're reminded that whenever we step outside of God's design, the result is disorder and the result is dysfunction. Someone once wisely said, uh, uh, something without a head is dead. Anything with two heads is a monster. And what ends up happening is when you don't have someone who's taking the leadership role within a marriage, there is disorder and there is dysfunction. And that is also true when you have two heads, when you have two people struggling to take the lead in the relationship, the husband or the wife, there is a struggle. And where we depart from God's design, there is disorder and there is dysfunction. The unfortunate thing about it is whenever sin entered into the world, it corrupted the the, the marriage relationship between husband and husband. And wife, and we read about the disorder and the dysfunction that resulted as a, as, as a result of the fall back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, to the woman, this is when the curse came, it said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. The reason why there is pain in childbearing, it began with Eve here. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then it says, you shall, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. What does it mean that your desire shall be your, for your husband? It means there that your desire will be to control your husband. Your desire will be to usurp the authority and the leadership of your husband. We go back to Genesis 4-7. It's the same word desire there. When Cain is being instructed, it says, Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Its desire for you is for you. It means that its desire is to control you. 
And so God's design for marriage is at a tension with the flesh in which those who may be wives have a desire to usurp the authority and go around God's order and design for marriage. And it's important for me to remind us of this. Whenever we step outside of God's design, there is disorder and there is dysfunction. But whenever we honor God's design, there you see divine order and there you see divine blessing. The invitation of the text given to wives is this. As you focus on God's design and the order that he has set for the marriage, it may not always be easy. It may be downright difficult. But as you honor God and you obey him, you leave the consequences to him as well and see what the Lord will do if you will obey God, if he will not bless you and bless your marriage as well. And so when we're talking about submission, we're talking about order, God's design for marriage between a husband and a wife. And I know we're not talking about husbands this morning. We will. Our focus is on the unique roles and responsibilities of a, and the marks of a godly wife. But what ends up happening when disorder enters into a marriage and the husband or the wife lose sight of their responsibility is the husband uh, um, goes one of two ways in regards to a pendulum swing. On one side, you have a husband who exercises passivity in regards to the marital relationship. He's no longer leading the family. He's no longer taking responsibility. He's no longer leading the family spiritually or leading the family in other words. And so you have a, a, a passive husband. He's not being the leader that God has called him to be. And on the other side of it, which is not God's design or order, you have a domineering husband. This is a husband who says, you will submit to me because that's what the Bible says. No, the Bible doesn't say that you force her to submit. It's a voluntary submission. And so it's not one of domineering. It's not one of passivity. But a husband's love for his wife should be reflected and redeemed in the gospel in that in Ephesians 5, to 33, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And so it's a loving leadership as he cares for and cherishes the wife that God has given him. But on the other side of it, when a wife steps outside of God's design for marriage, you can take a look at it. When we're talking about here, we're not talking about a doormat. Some wives hear the word submission. They say, well, you walk in the room and the husband wipes his feet on you and does, tells you whatever he wants. That's not God's design. God's design would, that you, would be that you voluntarily place yourself under the authority and leadership of your husband as you allow him to take the lead, as you honor God's design. And so while it's not being a doormat, it's also not being manipulative. So what wives can tend to do is say, hey, I'm going to manipulate my husband and I am going to take on the role of leadership in this marriage and that is not God's design either. God's design is for the husband to lovingly lead his wife, and God's design is for the wife to lovingly and voluntarily place herself under the leadership and the authority of her husband. Submission is about order, God's design. And where there is divine order, there is divine blessing. Secondly, submission is not just about order. Submission is about honor. It's about respect. It's interesting to note that when you take a look at, at uh, various studies, that it's not a surprise that the number one need of, of women or wives is that of security. A wife wants to feel secure. She wants to feel protected. She wants to feel cherished. She wants to feel nourished and and that's what husbands are supposed to give to their wives. And, and on the other side of it, a man's greatest need in marriage is often respect. It's not a surprise that men desire respect and women desire security. God designed them in that particular way. How much more should wives honor and show respect to their husbands, both in word and in deed? Just to offer some some practical ways to do that is uh, guarding against complaining about your husband, either in private or public. 
Guard against belittling your husband in front of friends. And so that's talking about the words that we use, but also the works that we do. Guard against active or passive manipulation to get your way. You know, your husband may not always act in a way that he deserves honor, but the command is unconditional. As in a moment, we're going to see we're talking about believing husbands, but also unbelieving husbands. Give honor to your husbands as you submit to Christ in all things. Submit to the authorities and the order that God has set for that marriage. So we're talking about order. We're talking about honor. Thirdly, we're talking about obedience. When we're talking about submission, we're talking about voluntarily placing yourself under the authority and the leadership of your husband. In other words, this is instructing wives to allow the husband to take the lead. Encourage and empower the husband to lead when it comes to spiritual matters in the home when it comes to prayer, when it comes to attending church, but it's also enabling your husband to be the leader that God has called him to be and allow him to be the final decision maker in the home. Now this sometimes rubs people the wrong way. This does not mean that wives don't have a voice or should not talk to their husbands about things because there are many times husbands are missing things, right? There are many times husbands are like, I'm glad you let me know that, and that's a good thing. But when we're talking about allowing him to make the final decision in the home, there are times when you disagree, and those are times when you say, the Lord has appointed this husband with this unique role, and I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to leave the consequences to him. Now, some wives are thinking this morning, wait, 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 wait. My husband is not a good decision maker. You don't know him. I'm the good decision maker in the home, and so I make the final decisions in the home. Well, if you're such a good decision maker, why did you marry a man who you knew was not a good decision maker? (laughs) We're reminded that even in a moment like this, as you choose a mate and you're looking for a husband, you want to find a husband who you can place yourself under his authority that you can allow him to take the lead, that you can allow him to make the final decisions in, in the home. And it doesn't mean that he's always gonna naturally do that, but you encourage him and empower him and support him in that regard. Now, when we're talking about obedience, we're not talking about unquestioning obedience. You submit yourselves, be submissive, but you do it in the fear of the Lord. Elsewhere in scripture, we see as unto the Lord. And so we're reminded, if your husband ever asks you to do something that is contrary to the will of God or the word of God, you obey the word of God. And that is true. If you have an unbelieving husband, he says, you are not to attend church. Don't forsake this gathering of yourselves together as as the manner of some. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, you They'll come to church, but you do so in a respectful manner. Your husband tells you, don't you dare teach the Bible to our children. Don't you dare share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. We have a responsibility, including wives, to instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. And so if ever a husband asks you to do which is contrary to the will of God and the word of God, you do not do that. And if ever a husband should subject you or your children to abuse physically, You should immediately separate in that regard. God hates violence. Now, can God restore that marriage? Of course, the purpose is always reconciliation. But you can tell your husband, until you change or you get some help, we can't make this marriage work because you are putting me in a dangerous position and you're putting our children there as well. Can God help this man? You bet you he can But when we're talking about obedience, we're not talking about unquestioning obedience. But if there's an area of disagreement, maybe where your kids go to school, and there is a push and a pull there, sometimes you've got to allow the husband to make the final decision in certain circumstances because he is the leader of the home. And so when we're talking about submission, we're talking about order, we're talking about honor, we're talking about obedience. So that's the content of the command. Wives, likewise, be submissive to whom? To your own husbands. And then we see the details of the command and also the benefits of it as well. We continue to read in verse one. 
It says this, that even if some do not obey the word, so we're talking about husbands who do, have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there is a reality that some of these wives uh, have accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord. Their husband has not yet accepted Christ. And so they're married to these unbelieving husbands. And the question is now, well, what do I do with him? He's not a Christian. He's not a believer. Do I leave him? Do I continue to preach the gospel to him? Do I take the Bible and beat him over the head with it? What is my duty as a godly Christian wife who has now, has now accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord? Now, it was easier for husbands. If they are converted, it was naturally speaking that the wife would be converted as well because when you take a look at the relationship between husbands and wives in the, wives in the first century in the pagan world, women didn't have a lot of value. They were treated as property. And so it probably was easier for the husband to get converted and the wife would naturally follow. But what do you do when you're the wife? You accept Christ and it becomes more difficult. People always ask the question, why do the wives have six verses and the husband only has one in 1 Peter? Well, that's part of the reason. How do wives deal with this? You're living in a pagan world. You accept Christ, your husband does not. And there is a system at play there. The text says don't divorce him. The text says that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And so the benefit of submitting to your husband, being submissive to your husband in regards to order, honor, and obedience is that you may win your husband that way. Win your husband not by nagging him. The text clearly says here, not by word, continuing to hit him over the head with the Bible. Now, this is not saying that a wife should not share her faith with her husband if he's an unbeliever. Obviously, the, the gospel changes our hearts through the work of the word and the spirit in the heart, but her primary means of winning her unbelieving husband is through her godly conduct. Let me read that again. That they without a word may be one by the conduct, by the behavior of their wives. This is not just a one-time behavior. It is ongoing. It's a lifestyle. And that's why when we're talking about a godly wife, we're talking about a lifestyle marked by submission. The text continues on. It says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. We're talking about a wife, wife's chaste conduct. We're speaking of a wife's purity. Uh, Swindoll says this about this text. This chaste and respectful submission is not a cringing, spineless cowering. It's the commitment of a wife to chastity, purity, and devotion to her husband. It requires a calm spirit of unselfish cooperation rather than flashes of stubborn opposition. A wife like that cannot and will not be ignored. This is the kind of wife who wins her husband to Christ by the conduct that she has. And it says observe. The word observe there isn't just a, a one-time moment where you see them, but it's ongoing. What a wonderful thing to know the influence of a godly wife. If a godly wife can have this influence on an unbelieving husband, how much more can a godly wife have great influence for the cause of Christ in the life of her believing husband? You know, I once read this, a story about a Hindu woman who was converted. story read this way, a Hindu woman was converted chiefly by hearing the word of God read. She suffered very much persecution from her husband. One day a missionary asked her, when your husband is angry and persecutes you, what do you do? She replied, well, sir, I cook his food better. When he complains, I sweep the floor cleaner. And when he speaks unkindly, I answer him mildly. I try, sir, to show him that when I became a Christian, I became a wife, better wife and a better mother. The consequence of this was that while the husband could withstand all the preaching of the missionary, he could not stand the practical preaching of his wife and gave his heart to God with her. That's the influence of a godly wife. Never underestimate the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband. What that woman said there 
was that she wanted her husband to know that when she became a Christian, she became a better wife and she became a better mother. What a wonderful challenge to wives in regards to God's word that being a believer in Christ would reflect well on others that they would see the difference it's made in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, and God would be glorified in and through it. And so what is the the mark of a, a godly wife? What is her lifestyle like? It's marked by submission. I'd like to give us a few takeaways in light of this. And as I said earlier, we're talking about all in regards to our text. Uh, first, to all believers, uh, our application is to honor God's design for marriage and how we talk about it. Hebrews 13.4, as I mentioned earlier, says marriage is to be honored by all. It's to be treated as valuable. It's to be treated as precious. And so guard how you talk about marriage, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're no longer married, whatever it may be, may you speak of marriage in an honorable way. Now, sometimes we speak about marriage and it's joked around a lot about and we say, well, the husband is the head, but the wife, she's the neck that turns the head. Well, if we're talking about the neck that turns the head in a manipulative manner, that's not God's design. I think a better description would be the husband is the head, the wife is the heart. The husband is the head who lovingly leads, her, lovingly leads his wife and leads her by laying his life down for her. And the wife is the heart who's cared for and nourished and she places herself voluntarily under the care and the leadership and the authority of her husband. As you talk about marriage, guard how you discuss it, regardless of where we're at. Secondly, this morning, to the unmarried ladies in the room, be careful who you marry. If I could state this positively, marry a godly man whose authority and leadership you don't mind placing yourself under. A lot of times, even as you get with couples who have rose-colored glasses, they're ready to jump into the marriage and they're excited for what lies ahead and they say, yeah, my husband, he's got, well, my husband-to-be, he's got problems and, and these are some things that need to change, but don't worry whether she says it or not, I will change him. The unfortunate thing is you can't change your husband, only the Lord can. And you can pray that the Lord does, but it's better to cry now because you don't have him than cry later because you got him. What a reminder for the ladies in the room who have not yet been married. Be careful who you choose in regards to your marriage. And then thirdly, to the married ladies in the room, in regards to the command, obey God and leave the consequences to him. If I could encourage you on what it looks like to obey God, just practical ways you can do that. The first is write down four qualities about your husband you appreciate and share them with him. You know, on your way home, later tonight, take time to share with him four qualities that you appreciate about your husband. And whether your marriage is blessed and you're happy and things are good or you're facing some struggles, it's interesting how God can work as you take some time to share those. It reminds me of a story, a newspaper columnist and minister, George Crane, tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward his husband, her husband. I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has me. You know, Dr. Crane, he suggested an ingenious plan. He said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him and you've convinced him. Uh, And when you've convinced him, you'll really hurt him. And then with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, beautiful, beautiful, I can't wait. And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if for two months she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And when she didn't return, Crane called and said, are you ready to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I rediscovered how much I love him and how much he loved, loves me. There's something about motion 
That as we serve those that maybe we don't particularly like, how it can be changed into emotion. And you may not feel love for the other person, but as you act in love, because love is an action word, God has a way of transforming that love and that relationship. So can I encourage you to write forth things about your husband and then share it with him later. Secondly, ask the right questions. I got four questions I'd invite you to ask this morning. The first one is, is my husband at the top of my prayer list? The second question is, do I put my husband first in my planning? Third question, do I look for ways to honor my husband? And the fourth one, do I make life easier or do I make life more difficult? And in light of those questions, just consider ways that you want to continue to love your husband as we're directed in Scripture. And then then thirdly, give your husband an opportunity to be the spiritual leader in the home and encourage him as you follow his his lead in the process of decision making. You know, as you do all this, may I encourage you to never underestimate the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband, whether he's believing or not. And so first, we're encouraged and reminded, what are the marks of a godly wife? First, her lifestyle is marked by submission. Secondly, her beauty is marked from within. Her beauty is not externally focused, it's internally focused. As we continue to read, we see in verse three, it says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or or putting on fine apparel. And so your focus and your priority should not be on the external. Let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself, that you should present yourself to your, to your husband or anyone else, and they're like, whoa, what happened, right? But you can present yourself in a good way. You can wear nice clothes. You can dress up your hair. You can wear jewelry. But your priority should not be what you look like on the outside. Your priority should be what you look like on the inside. Now, our culture pushes against this on every People find their value, especially ladies, in in how you present yourself and how you look. But the reminder here in the scripture is what is precious, what God finds valuable in his sight is a beauty that is not without, but a beauty that is within. And so as the amount of time that you spend on cosmetics and your clothes and shopping How much more should you be spending on building your character and allowing the work of the word and the spirit to transform your heart? So don't focus on the external. Focus on the internal. Verse 5 states it this way. For in this manner, in former, or excuse me, verse verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart from the inside out, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. The beauty there is described as incorruptible. The unfortunate thing about beauty is it fades. We're reminded of Proverbs 31.1. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. The beauty, the kind of beauty that is incorruptible, that doesn't fade, is from within. It says, which is very precious in the sight of God. What kind of inner beauty? It says, a gentle and a quiet spirit. The word gentle is not reference to weakness, The word gentle is really a reference to strength under control. And so when we're talking about a gentle woman, we know a woman who is self-controlled as one who's filled with the Spirit of God. She's not just gentle. It tells us that she has a quiet spirit. That doesn't mean that she's silent or she never speaks, but her words are calculated and her words are carefully thought out. She is not easily uh, uh, pushed by her emotions that are up and down, but she has control over those things. And we're reminded it's just the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, where there is the fruit of the Spirit, you'll see love, you'll see joy, you'll see patience, you'll see peace, see kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there you will also see self-control. 
It says a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We're reminded this morning, beauty is from within. Someone once told this, a young officer who was blinded during a war met and later married one of the nurses who took care of him in the hospital. One day he overheard someone say it was lucky for her that he was blind since no one could see which, who would, which would marry such a homely woman. He walked toward the voice and said, I overheard what you said and I thank God from the depths of my heart for the blindness of eyes that might have kept me from seeing the marvelous worth of the soul of the woman who is my wife. She is the most noble character I have ever known. If the confirmation of her features is such that it might have masked her inward beauty to my soul, then I am a great gainer by having lost my sight. Stephen Cole says this, outer beauty fades, but inner beauty grows stronger over time. Uh, for those men in the room who are yet to be married, Looking for that spouse, we can be easily captured by the external and by the beauty. May I encourage you to look at that beauty that is from within. Certainly, external beauty has some value, but how much more that beauty that is incorruptible, that is from within. Her beauty is internal more than external. If I could give you some takeaways, the first is this. Check your priorities. Spend more time on the internal than the external. Secondly, put on character more than cosmetics. Swindoll also says this. Mothers should pay close attention to this, to, to, to this warning because young daughters especially take their cues about priorities from mom. You can teach your little girls how to fret over hair, makeup, jewelry, and clothing, all the while missing the important virtues of modesty, gentleness, and peace. Put on character more than you put on cosmetics. And then thirdly, put on gentleness more than jewelry or gold. Inner beauty never falls out of fashion. Fashions change and shift, but inner beauty is always precious in the eyes of the Lord. So I want to take some time to remind us, what are the marks of a, a godly wife? In regards to her lifestyle, it's marked by submission. In regards to her beauty, it's more focused on the internal than the external. And then thirdly, her role models are chosen carefully. Let's go ahead and read verses five to six. They say this, for in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And so have the right role models. Our role models should not be necessarily be those who are the role models of pop culture, should not be the role models that we are easily drawn to in light of our fleshly desires, but our role models should be holy women of faith. The text says here, for in this manner informatize holy women. Those are the kind of women who should be your role model. A holy woman is one who is set apart. Set apart from the world and set apart to the word. Her number one priority is to glorify God and to serve him. This is the Titus 2 woman. This is the Proverbs 31 woman. This is a holy woman. A holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves. And so she's not just a holy woman. She places her hope in the Lord. She trusts in God in good times and in hard times when it's difficult to be a godly wife and when it's easy. This is the role model we are called to follow. How many of you know submission when it's difficult? That's when it's put to the test. It's easy to submit to the loving leadership of your husband when everything's going as you wish it to. It's a whole other thing to be submissive in times when you find it difficult. And so she's adorned um, as holy. She's trusted in God, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. I'd like to suggest this about submission. Biblical submission is not about weakness, but is about strength. The culture will say, no, 
You're gonna submit to your husbands? That's as weak as it comes. No, it takes a strong woman to say, I'm going to place myself under his leadership and under his authority. It takes a strong woman to say, I'm going to honor God's design for marriage and the roles and responsibilities thereof. It takes a strong woman to say, I'm gonna obey God and put my faith in him and then leave the results to the Lord and I'm gonna trust him anyhow. That takes a strong woman. Secondly, biblical submission is not about your happiness, but it's about God's glory. (laughs) You know, we have a tendency to think marriage is about us and marriage is about my happiness. No, marriage is about God's glory and marriage serves as an illustration of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage is not about you. Marriage is about the glory of God. And so the question I should ask is not, how is this making me happy, but how am I glorifying the Lord? It's about him. And thirdly, biblical submission is not about insignificance. It's about influence. Never underestimate the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband. So she's holy. She places her hope in the Lord. That's a good role model. She, she, she models what it means to, to, to walk in submission to her husband. And then we see an actual role model in a woman by the name of Sarah. Verse 6, it says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Whoa. Now, maybe you've been following me up to this point. And you say, whoa, I'm not calling my husband Lord. <laughs> now, the... Now, the command there is not necessarily that you have to go around calling your husband Lord, but it's a term of respect. Now, potentially, if, if, if after lunch your husband says, hey, honey, would you make me a sandwich? And she says, sure, my Lord. Technically, she could say that, but we're talking about just honoring your husband and how you speak to him. And it tells us here that she turned, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and then it says, whose daughters you are if God if you, are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, some of you may look at that relationship between Abraham and Sarah and say, easy for Sarah. <laughs> Abraham was the father of the faith, right? How easy it is it to submit to a man like that? But when you read about his story, it was not always easy, downright difficult. If I could take you through Genesis, in Genesis 12, 1 through 5, her husband claimed to have had visions from God instructing him to move when they were quite old into a strange land. Can you imagine your husband telling you that? In Genesis 12, 10 to 20, her husband convinced Sarah to pretend to be his sister while they were in Egypt, where the Pharaoh temporarily took Sarah as his wife. What is Abraham thinking? (laughs) In Genesis 13, 1 through 11, she followed her husband's lead when Abraham surrendered the best grazing land to his cousin Lot. And then in Genesis 20, 1 through 18, Abraham tried to pass Sarah off as his sister a second time, attracting the attention of Abimelech, king of Gerar, who wanted Sarah as his wife. It wasn't always easy to follow his lead, but Sarah is a good example of what it looks like when it comes to having the right role model. This morning, I want to encourage the the wives in the room to have the right role models. If you're a a, a lady in, in the church, what an opportunity to find those in your small group setting, those sitting in the chairs across from you, to find holy women of God who place their hope in the Lord and who trust in him alone. What a wonderful thing to to find the right role models in the church who can offer you sound biblical advice, who ground their advice not in the authority of experience, not in the authority of pop culture or the latest book that they've read, but is grounded in the word of God. And then I'd encourage others in the room to be the right role model. There are ladies who come to you as, as wives who they look up to May you give them sound biblical advice. May you encourage them to follow God's design because where there is divine order, there is also divine blessing. I want to close with this this morning and I don't want you to forget it. Never underestimate the impact, the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband. I started this morning by sharing the story of the husband who accepted Christ as a savior and his Lord. And I want to close this morning by sharing with you his testimony. 
And I had the opportunity to baptize him. This was what he shared. My parents didn't practice religion, a religion at all. I believed that there was a God, but never thought about heaven or hell. My wife, Cindy, and I settled in this area about four years ago, and she started coming to church here. Every Sunday, she would ask me to come with her, but I always said no because I didn't believe in organized religion. I often gave her a sly comment as well. <laughs> After about three years of asking for some reason, I said I would go. It was here I learned about heaven and hell and what I needed to do to go to heaven instead of hell. In August of this year, I was diagnosed, this is in 2019, I was diagnosed with ALS a few weeks ago while I was in bed, and, and I confessed to God that I was a sinner. And Jesus died on the cross for my sins and to come into my life. I know I have a long, difficult journey ahead of me with ALS, but I am at peace knowing that at the end, I will go home to be with my heavenly father. Rod Miller is now home with Jesus. And the reason he is home with Jesus is not just through the work of the word and the spirit of his, in his heart, but through the influence of a godly wife who continued to be by his side and encourage him in the faith. Never underestimate the difference a godly wife can make in the life of her husband. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that reveals your design for marriage your design for the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives within marriage. Thank you for the reminder that marriage is not about us or our happiness. Certainly joy from you comes when we function within your design, but it's all about your glory. And so, Father, I want to pray for all the single ladies in the room whom you have called one day to uh, except to, to get married, or perhaps maybe they've lost a husband and one day they're going to be remarried. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct them, that you would give them patience and endurance, Lord, as you bring them the right godly man into their life, one that they can be submissive to in regards to order and honor and obedience. Father, I pray for the wives in the room and I know that this is a message that's easier preached and easier said than done. And so, Father, I pray for the wives this morning who find it difficult, who find it hard, that you would be the one who they look to in times like this, that they would choose to obey you and leave the consequences to you, that they would adopt a role model, Father, in their life who they can look to, not just in the word, but, Father, in the church. And pray, Father, that you would guide them and direct them and that you would bless their marriage in regards to it, that as they obey you, that they would experience the blessing that comes with obedience. Father, I pray for every single one of us this morning that we would honor marriage, that we would honor your design for it, that we would know what to pray and know what advice to give and that in everything we say and do, you would be glorified. And I want to pray this morning, Father, because we're reminded that marriage is, is, is symbolized. I mean, marriage is really a symbol of, of Christ's relationship with the church. If there's someone here this morning who hasn't trusted in Christ and has received him as Savior and Lord, Father, and they have a desire to do that this morning, I pray that they can express this. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm separated apart from the saving work of Christ in my life. And my sin separates me. But today, I change my mind that will lead to change of direction. I repent. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, who bridges the gap between me and God and offers me salvation forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Jesus, I make you my savior. I make you my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, thank you for your word. May it guide and direct us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.